0: Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello
1: and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today, they have a special guest in studio, and that is Brandon Hughes from Peachtree Hotel Group. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Good afternoon, Eric. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Doing well. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Uh, Michael, why'd you bring Brandon on today? Well, Brandon is, uh, and if you've
2: listened to our podcast in the past, we we. Outsourced to specialists when our clients have particular needs, and and one reason why we had Brandon come on the show today is Brandon is going to talk about qualified opportunity zone funds, and this is uh, I'll let him explain sort of the history of the legislation. But this is uh, an area of the most recent uh, tax law changes at the end of 2017 that's really now starting to pick up, Um, and a lot of our clients have expressed interest in sort of wanting to understand what they are how they how they operate why they're in place and so that's really why we brought brandon on here today
3: so with that said brandon why don't you just talk a little bit about the the code itself what in the tax law to benefit these particular or this particular strategy and then talk a little bit about how you guys uh, operate in that
4: particular you know,
3: particular uh program
4: yeah sure and uh john and michael thanks for uh, bringing me on the the show today and just a little bit about me and in my background. I am responsible for developing and executing capital strategy for the firm and serve as a contact for the investor community. And so I've been in private equity funds, also have been in the institutional fixed income world on the bond side. And so I have a pretty deep background on structuring private equity type funds. And so uh, later in the the show, I'll get into a little bit more of, about what Peachtree does. But there was a bill or a law that uh, came about pre two thousand and seventeen. So going back to that time frame, there was a gentleman by the name of Sean Parker, and a lot of folks remember Sean as the Napster guy. And uh, if you right. remember downloading some of the free music uh, back then, that was him. Didn't make a lot I remember of that from my youth. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, so he didn't make a lot of money doing that, because you can't make a lot of money uh, downloading illegal music. Uh, but he was the first CEO of Facebook and made a lot of money at that. And so I think he was there for a pretty short tenure and uh, was uh, off probably sailing the world and came up with an idea that if we incentivize uh, in the investment community, uh, with that the investors that have capital gains, to invest those capital gains into quote unquote, these lower income areas across the United States, we think we could boost these economies in these distressed areas. And so he enlisted Tim Scott, who is the Republican senator from South Carolina, and Cory Booker, a lot of you guys know up in New Jersey, the senator there on the Democratic side to draft this bill. And so it had bipartisanship support going back to 2015, 2016, and ultimately, was wrapped up into the uh, 2017, uh, the Trump Tax uh, and Jobs Act of 2017. And so it quickly passed, and uh, a lot of developers uh, across the country were kind of off to the races to find certain areas uh, that they could, they could develop real estate in and, and or uh, find a piece of property that they think they could redevelop. Um, and part of that law, there's really two ways that you can you can benefit in these opportunity zones. One is to build a brand new asset in these opportunity zone areas or uh, find a piece of property with a, a a piece of real estate on it and double the basis in that property. And so the easiest, and and again, I'll get more into what we do, but the easiest for our purposes at at Peachtree Hotel Group was to develop uh, new assets. And so there's really three main benefits to the law for the investment community. One is, you have to have a capital gain, so it can be long term or short term capital gain. It can be derived from any source. So it could be derived from equities. So a stock position. It can be from real estate. And there's certain intricacies of the law and we can get into those uh, it can be from a business transaction. So if you sell a business, it could it could really be from any capital gain. And um, so when you invest that capital gain into these uh, quote unquote uh, lower income distressed areas and these these qualified opportunity zones, uh, you get to defer your taxes today. And so you're not paying Uncle Sam today, um, and you fast forward that seven years out to the year 2026. So if we're in 2019 today, you're maximizing. The full benefit of the law, you defer the taxes in 2026, the law states that you will have to uh, pay long-term capital gains or short-term capital gain rates in 2026. So whatever you go in to a fund in 2019, that's the the rate you'll pay in 2026. That one caveat there is we know what long-term capital gain rates are today. We know what short-term capital gain rates are today. We do not know what they are in 2026. So you have to be comfortable right. as an investor uh, knowing that they're going to reset in the year 2024. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Right, I mean, and that's, and that's an important caveat because, to your point, uh, you're not deferring the gain as you would owe it today. It's whatever the gain is at that time, correct? That's correct.
4: Right. And that's the first benefit. Uh, second benefit, um, the IRS is being very nice and saying, We're going to give you a reduction in your tax bill in 2026 in the form of a a step up in basis. And so uh, going back to investing that capital gain, when you invest it day one, you have a zero basis. (laughs) And so having a zero basis, they're giving you after a five year period uh, of being invested in these funds, a five or excuse me, a 10% step up in basis. If you hold it for a seven year period, which takes you to that twenty twenty six date, you get a fifteen percent step up in basis. So I like to think of that as a reduction in your tax bill. So I'll give a quick example. If you invest a million dollars today in twenty nineteen, you defer those taxes. In twenty twenty six, you owe long term capital gain rates on eight hundred and fifty thousand based on the rate in twenty twenty six. Yeah, that's
2: and that that that's a I mean, really, I have not heard of a benefit like that, in that that's a pretty unique tax benefit um, to, to this particular legislation. And, and just to add to that, Brandon, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on uh, really as soon as possible is because, correct me if I'm wrong, you really have somewhat of a window in terms of really investing into these Qualified Opportunity Zone funds before the end of 2019, correct? In order to get
4: that full benefit of those taxed um, or that step up in basis rather, is that correct? That is right. So um, thinking of going into 2020, the funds will still be around, but your benefits um, now change to you only qualify for that 10% step okay. up in basis that's and a- you're one year closer to paying your taxes in 2026. And that's a, That's a big piece. It is. Yeah,
2: so that is, so that's one of the reasons why Kim, why we wanted to have you on uh, is to is to get you know obviously to get the word out where if that's something that interests a listener they they sort of time is of the essence a little bit in terms of uh, in terms of investing into these now as we'll probably talk about and expand on in a little bit later we never want to necessarily let the tax tail wag the dog so there obviously has to be a, a really compelling reason to do, to to do or make this investment anyway but. It is an important thing to note if you're considering this.
3: Brandon, these zones are always intrigued me because when you look at how that kind of rolled out, um, you're reading articles that Scottsdale, Arizona has opportunity zones, Manhattan has opportunity zones. They're not necessarily lower end
4: areas for development. But what, who's making the election on these zones uh, under this program? That's right. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, so when they were designing these these so-called opportunity zone tracks, um, the only data set they had to go off of was the last census, which took place in in 2010. So if we all rewind back to 2008, 2009, <clears throat> 2010, coming out of the worst financial crisis we've seen, um, a lot of areas across the United States were, quote unquote, distressed at that time. And so when they did that census in 2010. That's the data they had to use. And so when you look at a Phoenix, Arizona, which we have a project going on in Phoenix, it was probably the hardest hit city in the United States based on the residential mortgage crisis. So we get to, as a developer, build an asset in downtown Phoenix based on that 2010 data. And so there's 8,700 tracks across the United States. Some of them are rural which uh, makes sense for an opportunity zone. You're probably not going to find too many developers uh, developing something in a cornfield in Indiana, but it probably qualifies as an opportunity zone. Right. But then to your example, there's places in Manhattan, uh, on, the, on the west side of Manhattan, just three blocks from Columbus Circle that qualify for an opportunity zone. Uh, 90% of Scottsdale qualifies as an opportunity zone. There's places on the Vegas Strip uh, that qualified as an opportunity zone, and so the governors and their offices of each state were able to identify twenty five percent of their state as these lower income distressed areas. Now those are uh, divided up all across the state, um, and there's a lot of instances where there's an opportunity zone, and just across the the tracks is a non opportunity zone and To give you an example, we have a project in downtown St. Louis. Missouri, which sits next to Union Station, uh, which is which is an old train station that they've redeveloped, um, which is kind of a happening area in St. Louis. We're building a hotel right next to that, which happens to be in a qualified opportunity zone. And so you're finding a lot of those um, across the country in desirable areas and um, downtown type markets where you've seen um, kind of this regentrification, where folks are moving back into the city versus what it looked like in, in 2010.
3: Yeah, the only reason I brought that up really because everyone looks at real estate differently. But you and I both know it's a, it could be a risky asset class depending on that it's always location, location, location. So my concern for my clients when they ask me questions about this, a lot of these opportunity zones are in good real estate place. They're in good areas because of this new law that happened to be with the census issue have an opportunity to invest in some really good real estate, good areas in these particular uh, zones themselves. So it's it's fascinating to me how that all unraveled.
4: And, that, and that's also another good point to where if we're, when we're moving into 2020, that's the next census that will take place. Now that'll right. take a few years to finalize. But if you're looking at qualified opportunity zone funds today, in our opinion, as a developer, we think it's the best opportunity and the best timing to be developing real estate based on that. Stale data in areas that we can build uh, that were distressed back in 2010, which will change moving forward. But funds that are out today are grandfathered in for that 2010 data. Yeah, that's that's really interesting.
2: Is that when we've talked about, or when clients have brought qualified opportunity zones up to us? One of the things that they're concerned about is, well, where are these where are these projects being invested in? I, I I understand the purpose of sort of revitalizing. Ah, uh, lower income areas or distressed areas, but that maybe isn't necessarily the best area that I personally want, would would want to invest into. And I think your outline of some of of these areas of the United States and projects area or areas where it's it's distressed, but it, the the level
4: of distress is maybe not what what a lot of people think of. That's correct. Um, when you hear of you know distressed or lower income, you automatically think of the 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 bad or poorer areas of town. Uh, I'm, I live here in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, and uh, you'll find that a lot of the opportunity zone in, in Atlanta is is on our west side, which happens to be a, a, a natural lower income poor area for our city. And of course, as a developer of real estate, that's not an area that we would go and develop a hotel, um, but there are a lot of areas that qualify as opportunity zones in Atlanta um, that make sense. So. You know, it has to make sense from a real estate standpoint. Going back to, uh, don't let the, the tax incentives uh, you know wag the the dog. Um, so you have to look at the type of real estate that you're investing in, the areas that these projects are being uh, built in or being redeveloped, and then feel comfortable with that investment. Because really, ultimately, the third benefit out of the three um, is the best benefit, and that is to grow money tax free and it to be distributed tax free. If for that to happen, you have to be in these qualified opportunity zones funds for a ten-year period, ten-plus year period, and right. so you have to feel real comfortable with the real estate, the funds that that you're going into because it's a it's a long-term relationship in these in these projects.
2: Yeah that that that's a great that's a great point. We did sort of dovetail away from the the to um, say the tax benefits that you were talking about initially, but. I agree. I think that last one is really where there's a lot. There could be a, a lot of potential benefit for investors, assuming you pick the right investment. To your point, because you do get that, um, you know, let's say that uh, tax tax-free nature of your investment into the fund itself if you uh, hold it on for ten years. But that brings up another question um, that hopefully you can help me answer with is sort of when you're looking at or when you're working with with clients, what sort of assets are they? Or gains, I should say, are they looking to invest into these funds? Because if you do have, let's say, that 10 year hold, I imagine that there are certain types of assets that families may want to consider or may not want to consider depending on their personal needs. Do you have any uh,
4: thoughts on that? Um, Yeah, sure. So, you know, going back to who is eligible um, to invest their gains into these opportunity zone funds, it can be an individual, it can be a corporation, it can be an S corporation, it can be a trust. And so um, as long as there's a a capital gain scenario, it can be invested into these Qualified Opportunity Zone funds. What's not allowed, um, or at least we're not allowing it in our programs, are to invest anything outside of capital gains like cash. We get that question a lot. Um, And ultimately, you can invest cash, but the IRS is not going to give you those tax benefits. So ultimately, you're investing in just a long-term development fund that you're not getting tax benefits on. So there's probably different avenues that you can probably access and other development deals that are more tax efficient. Um, so uh, we get that question a lot. Um, and then on the capital gain side, it can be short-term capital gains, long-term capital gains, um, section 1250 and 1231 gains, which uh, pertain to real estate, and uh, security sales. So we've, we've gotten a lot of... Um, positions in our fund due to where the stock market is today uh, over concentration in stock positions where they're rebalancing. And so they're they're rolling over their capital gain portion um, into our fund amongst other funds for diversification. Uh, We've seen quite a few business sales. So it has been a tipping point for um, generational businesses that maybe want to sell or have thought about selling. But now is the opportune time to do that. Because they don't have to pay taxes today. And this is an avenue uh, to grow money tax-free over a period of time. And uh, what we've seen and what we've heard, there's just not a lot of avenues to do that. And so yeah. the tax law has created that. Yeah, we we do a lot of trust work. and That's why I'm always excited to look at
3: ways to be more tax-efficient in trust because they're heavily taxed. So this is a very, very good position for real estate. Because most of our clients own real estate as a big asset class to their net worth. So they're always looking for ways to move that generationally, and this could be a very unique process to have a trust own that real estate, wait the ten years because it's a long-term strategy, and and get away with the capital gain benefit. I think it's I think it's exciting for for that particular position.
4: That's right, and and everything we are hearing um, are that these programs are working. They they are um, creating growth in these local economies and creating jobs, and uh, I think that'll happen for a long period of time as the real estate is built. Ah, uh, there'll be more permanent jobs versus the you know the construction side of of the uh, the aspect right now that are creating jobs. I was I was you know, I'm, I'm watching things develop.
3: And I'm I'm a little concerned, and again, it's just my point of view. A Little concerned, and you brought it up earlier. Parts of the poorer areas of these zones are not going to be developed because there's a more of a risk for the real estate play, so they're not going to be developed. So that's kind of backwards, I think, from where they're trying to you know work with this tax benefit. Uh, what
4: are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, we, we we somewhat agree to that, and and ultimately, it's one of those um, things that you know, if we decided as a developer to go put a put a hotel in in that area, we're not we're not going to have much demand coming to stay in our hotel, maybe because there's there's a lot of crime in the area, or you know, whatever reason it may be. But what we are seeing is that um, when you look at these opportunity zone tracks, especially in you know, these primary secondary cities like st. our st louis project we are in an opportunity zone but right across there's a non-opportunity zone so we're getting folks from these lower income areas that are that are getting jobs for these projects so if you ask me what is probably one of your, your biggest concerns today and in, in, you know on the development side it's uh the labor pool so there's there's just not enough folks out there um, yeah. in the labor pool and so we're able to hire some some other folks that you know maybe you wouldn't before as as day laborers, but ultimately it's you know putting putting paychecks uh you know back into the the economy or, or a paycheck to their their family. And and if the project wasn't happening, that that wouldn't happen.
3: That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, personally, that that was my hope that that would be developed because it's all about jobs. Uh, you listen to uh, the president. You listen to the focus on this. It is about jobs um and And the real estate benefit or the capital gain benefit it, it should be a secondary issue, but it's it's not. but but, I hope they both come together and develop
4: uh, synergies and uh, make it all work well and if, you, if you if you look at us as as hotel developers, which we'll get into in a minute, um, you know m- most of the workers in our hotels are you know the maids that clean the rooms the, the folks that work the front desk, which are typically hourly workers, which you know are um, Inevitably, are pulled from that lower income uh, area, and so that's ultimately good that they're they're able to find a job closer to where they live. And so, I think I think these programs are working from that aspect as well. Yeah, sounds there's a lot of lot of spillover benefits that maybe uh, or maybe they did think
2: about it, but uh, that one wouldn't think of right off the bat. This is interesting.
3: I talk about your firm uh, at this point, if you wouldn't mind, Brandon, so that the audience gets an uh, understanding
4: how you kind of operate in these zones. Sure, sure. So uh, Peachtree Hotel Group, again, is the name. We're located here in Atlanta, um, Georgia. Really started um, as a product of the financial crisis. So three gentlemen started the, uh, the firm um, really as a family office to manage their own capital and, and friends and family capital. Um, two of them grew up in, in hotels, um, literally from day one, uh, You know, cleaning, um, working the front desk, cutting keys back when they did that. And the other uh, partner, who is our CEO, grew up on the lending side of the business to so the finance side. And so uh, they quickly um, took advantage of the financial um, fallout and were buying deeply discounted uh, hotels and, and notes. And so that, that hasn't changed uh, today. Uh, we still operate the same way with the same thought process. Um, it's just kind of has grown over the years. Uh, but we have... Than developing brand new hotels since day one, since two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, um, and we stick to our investment thesis, which are sticking to premium branded hotels. Um, so, the purposes of our opportunity zone fund, they're all Marriott or all Hilton properties. So, those have very strong reservation systems. We're, we're tapping into um, the business traveler, uh, if you will, that that is gaining points. And, uh, and that's, that's what you get when you, when you uh, partner with a Marriott and a Hilton. To go a little further, we operate, manage, and develop select limited service hotels, which are, uh, you're probably familiar with the Hampton Inn by Hilton or a Courtyard by Marriott. Yeah. Uh, those are all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those are uh, 80 to 150 room hotels. And um, we like that segment of the hospitality sector. Um, because you can manage those hotels in good times and we can manage them in uh, market downturns or recessionary type periods as long as we're in the right locations. It doesn't take a lot to run those select limited service hotels. Um, there's operational levers that we can pull when we are in that down market. But uh, to drive it a little further, um, we, we do deals in uh, secondary tertiary cities where there's natural demand drivers that are around university markets, markets with medical research, med- uh, hospitals, airports, for the purposes of opportunity zones in downtown markets. And so how we backed into these opportunity zone programs was uh, when this bill was being talked about that, that I mentioned earlier, uh, we took a look at our pipeline um, of new development deals that we went to Marriott we went to Hilton and and got a brand approval in a certain market across the country. And we had 22 of these individual asset deals we wanted to do. um, And 11 of those, when we put that opportunity zone track map on top of ours, 11 of those 22 fell into opportunity zones. So when you look at uh, select and limited service hotels and the locations they are in, they naturally fall In those airport markets, which tend to be lower income. University markets, which tend to be lower income because of the student body. And then the point I made earlier, the downtown markets were very distressed back in 2010. And they look drastically different today. So there's a lot of demand, natural demand in these areas. And these were deals that we underwrote um, before that made sense. The economics worked. our investor return hurdles made sense. And so we just put a fund wrapper around um, these eight to 10 projects that we're executing on. And so we have a, a fund now that we have four projects in the, in the fund already. Um, two of the hotels are, are almost completed. Um, so again, it is working. There's job creation in these markets. And then uh, moving forward, there will be even more job creation, more permanent creation once we open these hotels.
2: Yeah, that's it. I mean, that, that's what really... Again, getting back to that conversation of not letting the you know the tax benefits wag the dog, I think that's really key because, like you said, you, you sort of already had this investment or these investments of these hotels in your pipeline, and it just so happens that the legislation overlapped very nicely, it, sure. um, which I think you know is something to always look at. Because another question that I'm sure you can comment on that uh, that our clients have sort of talked to us about is sort of okay, who are these? Who are the companies that are putting these together? Because now that this legislation is in place, they're, I'm sure you know whether you have competitors or whether they're larger or smaller. But there's a lot of companies or individuals that are trying to get into this market, and I think that that can create a situation where investors have to be a little bit wary. So, do you have any thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, I mean, and that's a good point. Um, <clears throat> you know, and that's that's a concern for for a lot of um, funds out there that maybe they're overpaying for the land. Uh, where they're developing. Um, And then the labor market's also another point we talked about earlier. Uh, But for for us, these were deals that um, we had in the works prior to this this reform. Um, And so we're just acting on those and closing those. And so we're partnering a lot of our deals with um, local uh, people that were in these markets that own land that they are uh, a JV partner with us um, on that individual asset. And so as the law you know, is, is stated, if you own land pre 2018, um, you actually can't take advantage of these Qualified Opportunity Zone programs that you have to sell your interest to a Qualified Opportunity Zone fund um, and can't own more than 20% um, of that, that individual uh, asset. So, um, it worked out very well for us, and that's how we were able to um, get started right away um, in our industry is shovels in the ground. And that's why two of our projects are are almost completed and we'll be able to open those up, open those hotels up. Um, but there are a lot of concerns, and we're hearing that out there that um, there, are, there are funds raising capital. They're just having a hard time closing on deals and finding deals that make sense for the investor. And that can always um create some issues and so we're fortunate um that we we launched our fund in december of, of 2018 and um we've raised roughly 100 million in capital and have been able to close on the four properties we have two more under contract and so again getting back to we're just executing our strategy that we were going to do regardless yeah that's great that's that's great
3: um, what's your thoughts about because uh, we always get pushback from clients there's a recession coming Uh, there's going to be a downturn in in all these sectors real estate stocks and bonds from a recession standpoint uh, how do you think you fit in in a down market on these projects i know you mentioned a few minutes ago that you're positioned pretty well but that would be a concern of some of our clients what's the risk although obviously it's 10 years uh, but remember 80s were a very tough real estate decade so a lot of people have that memory
4: that we work with. So, how do you answer that question to these clients? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, we hear that, hear that daily. And I think we've been waiting on this recession for five or six <laughs> exactly. years now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but we, we do know it's going to happen. It's inevitable, right? So, it's, it's a natural business cycle. We, we don't know, you know, what that looks like and how severe if it, you know, it looks like in sure, 08. does. No yeah. Or you know, if it looks like the one that I don't think anybody remembered back in 2011, 12, that looked like one. But yeah, we we have that factored in. And so from an underwriting standpoint, we are very, very conservative. We actually um, underwrite all of our deals to those 2008 scenarios. Are we comfortable uh, building this property, owning this property, managing it, if it looks like 2008? And that's ultimately what it comes back to, uh, the location, the type of uh, asset that we're building, um, being a select limited service, partnering with a Marriott and a Hilton where everyone in the world knows the brand is like Coca-Cola, Home Depot. And so we can minimize a lot of those downside risks, but we also know that we're managing to a 10 to 12 year period. So we may even see two you know, market downturns in that time period. And we're very comfortable uh, with the locations, the assets um, that we own. Uh, another point to make, um, there has been some regulations that the treasury department have, have put out and um, in the, you know, for these Opportunity Zone programs. And one of them was that we can sell assets along the way. And that was unclear um, out of the gate. And so we are able to uh, build an asset, sell the asset. So if it makes sense for the investors, if we can double or triple the equity in a, a three-year period, that makes sense for investors as long as we have another project that we can roll into. So we have to uh, invest that capital into another project within 12 months of, of that transaction, so we can minimize some of that risk as well if we see opportunity along the way, which is which is drastically different than when it was unclear if we weren't able to sell assets and we had to hold on to those assets for 10 to 12 years. Although, with our program, we're very comfortable, um, and we underwrite to a 10 to 12 year period, uh, but that just kind of gives us more flexibility on that side. That's great. Well. Brandon,
2: unfortunately, we're we're I think we're running out of time today. This has been a really great conversation. And, uh, th- thank you so much for educating us and educating our listeners on this um, this unique uh, uh, investment opportunity and, and tax opportunity. That that again, somewhat as time is of the essence, if you want to maximize all those benefits, um, end of like end of twenty nineteen, correct, is sort of the deadline, um, which you have to invest.
4: I, I as I understand it, right. Yep, for to maximize your benefits, um, you know, and just to, I know we're out of time, but recap: just getting the deferral up front, you get that step up in basis. Um, you get the full fifteen if you're invested in 2019. It, it changes to a 10 in in 2020. But um, certainly, if you're you're thinking about doing it and, and are going to do it, uh, I think 2019 makes sense. Great, excellent. Thanks, Brandon. Well, thank you guys. And uh, if you have any other questions, please uh, forward those to me. I'd, I'd be happy to help. Thank you so much. All right. That was my next question. Actually, guys, this
1: was a great podcast. For those that are listening that do have questions, can you just go ahead and give your phone number, Michael and, and uh, John, and just let them reach out to you, and then you can figure out how to put them in contact?
2: Sure. Uh, our, our phone number is area code 856-988-8300. And uh, you could, if you're interested in uh, whether it's Brandon's program, you uh, can call our office and we can uh, help you out with
1: that. Fantastic. And thank you all for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.
5: This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services Incorporated, a member of FINRA, SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principle. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.